So, retrospectors, what historical events are we ticking off on this week's run of Today in History? Well, Monday is the anniversary of the day Roger first publishes famous thesaurus. Then on Tuesday, we say happy birthday, Mr. Potato Head. On Wednesday, the extraordinary stories of the child soldiers who fought in the American Civil War. On Thursday, how King James changed the word of God. And on Friday, what did spam emails look like in 1978? We discuss this and more on Today in History with the retrospectors. Ten minutes every weekday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, man fans. Ollie Man here, just sitting down with a cup of coffee, as I tend to do when I record these introductory links at home. Uh, normally, that is a case of outright amateurishness, uh, but this week it's relevant because this is an episode all about coffee. Uh, before we get cracking, though, big welcome to those of you who have found us because you read about us in the weekend papers. We've had some reviews come in. Uh, for those of you who are joining us this week because you read about us in the Times. Yeah, we were podcast of the week in the Times. Uh, Hello, Times readers. Uh, I'm very flattered to have featured in your choice of paper, uh, the Times of London. I mean, wow, that is unequivocally the paper of record. Uh, For those of you, though, who found us via Miranda Sawyer's Observer radio column the following day, um, she said, by the way, that the show was very warm but criticised us for being too affable. (laughs) That is the kind of critique that I can handle. Uh, Hello, Observer readers. Uh, Well done you if you read The Observer. It is unequivocally the paper of record. Uh, Anyway, welcome along all newspaper readers. If you've never heard a podcast before, well, this one is a little bit like a Sunday supplement. Uh, It's an overview of the week's trends, uh, then a chunky middle feature, a little bit of music, and in the back pages, some utter filth. Coming up on today's show, you're going to learn how to identify a good quality coffee shop from the street. You'll learn how the molecular structure of fruit salad is linked to that of condoms, and you'll learn of Ollie Peart's ancestral connection to hip-hop royalty. Sort of. Let's go! On this week's Modern Man. Uh, There was only one person that completed it besides me, and I was finishing with a minute to spare. I place an order with Britain's best barista. I don't want to think about Mick Hucknall while I'm dressed in latex, perspiring heavily and stinking of candy floss. And Alex Fox has simply read your questions of sex. But first, it is the man who is the living definition of affability. It is Ollie Peart with the zeitgeist. Hello, Ollie. Bonjour, monsieur. Comment ça va? More French. OK. We're going to start this week with an apology. I want you to talk to everyone who's tweeted us who owns an Android phone who was highly offended by what you said last week. Yeah, right, Ollie, I will. Let's start with the honey monster. He goes, at Ollie Man, glad to hear at Ollie P regards me as abnormal based on my choice of mobile device. His patronage of pets at home is more diagnostic. Don't really understand what he's talking about, but the chap's called Honey Monster, or girl, I don't know, and he's got Honey Monster as his logo. Yeah, you're attacking someone who wrote to us who's offended. What I'm asking you to do, Ollie, is apologise for what you said last week about Android phone users, and what you're doing is says you're just reading out a tweet from someone. Well, yeah, but I want to go through them one by one. No, I don't think that's good Good podcasting. Mike I think Brennan... Would, no, I think what would be better is for you to just admit that you said something that was, you know, unfair. Can I just read Mike Brennan's? He says, hi, Ollie EP... At the Modern Man and Ollie Man. It's yeah. just like an intro to a letter. That's quite good Twitter etiquette, so already I like him. He goes, I'm an Android user and I use an iPod. Nothing pithy to add, just pointing out. What are you doing? Who uses... Why are you picking apart our listeners? He uses an Android and an iPod. 
I don't understand. Why would you do that? Why can't you just admit that you got something wrong? That you generalised last week in a way that was derogatory to those who just want better SD card expansion and prefer not to use iOS and their walled garden. Listen, I've used Android, I've used Windows, and I've used iOS. Okay, you're not going to apologise, are you? No. Fine. Well, can I just say, Android users are more than welcome to the modern man. It's BlackBerry users who are the Let's move on (laughs) and talk... (laughs) About your trends of the week. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, Yeah. okay. All right. What's your first trend of the week? Drone racing. Right. At the weekend, I went to Wembley Stadium to go and watch. Wow, are they having a drone event at Wembley Stadium? Yeah, basically it was a demo race. So there's a load of guys there just showing the press what drone racing's about. But what is drone racing about? Is it about publicising drones or is it a real sport? It is a real sport. And I'll tell you what's happened in the last day or so. So ESPN have actually signed a deal with a drone racing league in the United States to broadcast hmm. drone racing. What impresses me more than anything is how quickly the sport's growing. So I actually went to a drone race about a year ago, hmm. and that was just a bunch of blokes in a field in Austria. And it's gone from that to doing a showcase in Wembley Stadium. How many people were there, though? There was maybe 100 people there. Uh, wait, no, okay. no, no, wait. But there was a kid there who was 12 years old who won the Drone Grand Prix in Dubai a few weeks earlier and won a staggering $250,000. Yeah, but you can buy a handbag for that in Dubai, can't you? They have such an incredible power-to-weight ratio and all that kind of stuff. And I know it sounds nerdy, but when you see them, when you see them racing, you think, that is so hard what they're doing. They're like going through these tiny little loops. Mm. They're going at 80 miles an hour and they let me have a little go with the slow one with the goggles on, and it's so hard. It is so difficult to fly them, so you appreciate the skill that's involved in these guys, I actually think there's nothing less credible about drone racing than Formula One. Hmm. It's all just technology and speed and money. It's not a very good spectator sport, to the extent where they have these goggles, so you can get first-person view, and you can tune into any of the drones with these goggles on to see what they can see, right? Mm -hmm. It's quite hard to visualise, but don't worry, Ollie, because I filmed it. Your day at the races? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people can see that on our website, modernman.co.uk. That's right. It'll be up there right now. Okay. Uh, What's your next trend of the week? Vinyl. A record store day, wasn't it? Okay, yeah. In 2015, 2.1 million vinyl records were sold. That was the highest for 21 years or something. Ridiculous. It's a lot, isn't it? It's posers, isn't it? Yes, because the BBC have reported that 48% of people that buy vinyl... Yeah. Don't actually listen to it. In fact, some of them don't even have a vinyl player. And that's the distinction, isn't it? Don't get me wrong. If you're listening to this, you genuinely collect vinyl, have done for years. For some reason, you're one of these people who say, oh, but it sounds so different. Sounds like it's just exactly how the artist intended. I mean, you're wrong, but I understand why you think that. (laughs) But these people who nowadays have like got on the bandwagon, started buying new records as records, which were produced digitally, that cost more than getting the download... That surely that is just about having a collectible, isn't it? That is nothing to do with listening to it better. It, yeah, exactly. And I mean, it could be you could say, oh, well, maybe these people are buying vinyl because they do like the sound of it, and they're just sort of saving up for a vinyl player in the mm. meantime, and then they get one. <laughs> but it's not the case because there, there was a bunch of interviews, and these people are like, nah, I just quite like having it. I quite like having it. It's like owning a book, yeah. So you can have the cover and all that kind of stuff. Do you so, have a, a vinyl record player at home? No. Would but, you think about getting one? <laughs> Uh, if I put a drone on it, would you buy one? Possibly. Yeah. Also, I do have a vinyl record, though, that I bought when I was about 15. Oh, yeah. So my, first, my first record was a vinyl record, too. Yeah. What was yours? Uh, I bet I, it was more credible than mine, but I did buy mine when I was seven, and it was a single. No, I bought um, No FX and Rancid. Mine was Sealed with a Kiss by Jason Donovan. 
Ollie Pitt, what else do you have for us? Name changing. There's been a spate of people changing their names. Oh, is this the story I vaguely heard about this? Someone who wanted to call their kid, was it cyanide? Cyanide. And she said... And they were prevented from the courts for doing that. Exactly. But clearly Uh, had like a range of mental illnesses and other problems as well. It wasn't just that they wanted to call their daughter cyanide. It was that they obviously weren't a, you know, reasonable parent. Well, yeah, I can't imagine she was all that sensible. She said uh, it was a lovely, pretty name with positive connotations as it was taken by Hitler. That's right. So it's not, you know, I mean... Usually when you mention Hitler, you've lost the argument, but particularly in this case. It killed Hitler. It's a good name. (laughs) (laughs) You've got, let me call my kid cyanide. It's just ridiculous. But there was more. Uh, A chap (laughs) renamed himself Buzz Lightyear. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, he did it for charity. And he also got Buzz Lightyear tattooed on his leg. Mm -hmm. uh, And he raised £2,000. Now... It would take a lot more than £2,000 for me to change my name. How much? I mean, everyone's got their price, right? 50 so, grand. Like, okay, I would change my name to Buzz Lightyear if I knew that I would raise a million pounds for charity by doing so. Oh, right. Now, I'm setting my limit at a million. Yeah, I just said 50 grand. Yeah, yeah well, that's about right. But I'd it? only temporarily change it. I reckon that's about right. Like, I, I would ask for 50 grand if I was going on Celebrity Big Brother. I reckon you'd do it for 200. Quid. I'm just saying, like, you know, quid. proportionally. Yeah, it's about, well... <laughs> £200 a day. £200 a day, yeah, yeah. Do it for £200 a day. Yeah. And then another one came up. This guy's changed his name to Bacon Double Cheeseburger. Well, I, I mean, you know, people name their children after things that they love. It's surprisingly easy to change your name. I looked into it because I thought, well, how easy is it to name yourself something idiotic? Yes. And it turns out it's not really that difficult at all. And some of the names that they've uh, actually genuinely issued are Jellyfish McSavaloy. <laughs> I can't understand the... You know, the correlation of those two. Well, that that reeks of pub bet to me. Yes. That's a lot of people chipping in with stupid names over the course of an evening. Toasted tea cake. And the T is the letter T. Yeah. Uh, They do warn you on the website. They say, if you are in a profession where a funny name would be frowned upon, maybe you should think twice. Think twice. You should definitely think twice. I think that's right. I think the three things you have to think about is if your child went missing in the supermarket and you had to shout after him or her, would you feel comfortable saying the name in public? Mm -hmm. Then if their partner was romantically screaming out their name during sexual intercourse in ecstasy, would it sound ridiculous? Magic space monkey. Uh, That's another one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, And then if your boss was, you know, Bacon Double Cheeseburger CEO, would that sound ridiculous? Those are the three settings I think you have to think about. But I did look into it for a personal reason as well. You're not thinking of changing your name? Yeah, but not to a stupid name. So my grandma had three daughters and they all changed their names because they all got married, right? Yeah. And her surname is now, you know, she's the only one that has that surname. So You're I spe- about to say something proto-feminist. I wouldn't have expected it of you. <laughs> no. You're about to say you want to continue your maternal grandmother's name. Yes. That's quite nice. So... So I, I can't at, be cynical about that. I'm no, smiling. Do you want to hear what it is? Uh, uh, yes, because in case it's something ridiculous and then I've got something to laugh at. No, because if I announce it publicly as yeah. well, I think it's quite nice. And I'm, I'm, serious, I'm not saying I'm definitely going to do it. Okay. But I'm, de- I'm seriously considering it. Yeah. It's Westwood. Wow. So I'd be Ollie Westwood. Westwood. Yeah, well, Love no, that's it. what, see, that worries me. Yeah. I worry that people would be like, yeah, Westwood. Yeah, well, they would. <laughs> they definitely would. But it's not going to, would that plague me more than, because I'm Piet now, people yeah. say Pert. Yeah, like you know, tits. Like tits, yeah. exactly. You and know. Instead, they'd be saying Westwood, like the famous tit. So what would I prefer? People going, yeah, right, Pert. Or yeah. people going, Westwood. <laughs> I think I'd prefer Westwood. Well, I feel uh, we've we've run out of steam. So uh, that is the end of this week's Zeitgeist. Well, Ollie, no, thank no, you. No, wait, 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 wait. Uh, there is, there's one more thing. Is there? Text adventure games. <laughs> 
Of all the words I thought you'd say. Police quest. Bureaucracy. Zork. The Hobbit. Just some of the great text adventure games of our childhood. Do you remember Police Quest? No, but I played Granny's Garden a lot. I used to play it. And basically, you're this little police officer. Mm -hmm. And you have to type in what you want him to do. So you could say, pick up keys. Right. Open book. Read newspaper. This sounds like a trend from about 1984 that you flagged up this week. I haven't finished yet. Right. There's a bit that if you went in to drive the car without checking the car, game over. Also, if you type, take your clothes off, game over. Quite right. But you're right. This is quite an old game. Yeah. But today there's a new one. Is there? Fallen London is a free text adventure game and it's been going for seven years. How can it be new if it's been going for seven years? Because now... As of today, uh-huh. it's available on iOS. So you can go and download it now and play it. And I... Right, so they've got an app. Yeah, uh-huh. it's a game. It's a yeah. game. The game is still an app. But I've been playing it. Right. And it is... Are you doing an ad? Well, yeah. It is an I'm disguising it. Well, no, that's illegal, isn't it? You can't disguise ads. But yeah, it's an ad. Yeah. They've, they've well, paid for me to say this. Oh, this is a bit of promoted content. Well, I thought I'd just sort of... You know, leave it in. No, 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 no. Now I know there's money up front. Go for it. Tell yeah. me about this game. Yeah. yeah. And it's based in an alternate Victorian London, where yeah. London is now subterranean. Okay. You start off, you choose your character. Go underground. Go on, Well, you're underground already. Right. And you're in prison. So okay. you've got to use your wit to break out of prison. Then once you've broken out of prison, you can pretty much do what you want. And you have to use your skills and your know-how. Yes, and it's an open game where you... Yeah, and everything you do has repercussions, okay. right? So if you t- take your clothes off, you could do that. But yeah. it would have repercussions. You yeah. can fall in love with, with you in the nudity in the text games. If you're in a text adventure game, the first thing you type in is take your clothes off. Right, okay. There's a website, failbettergames.com forward slash modern. Uh-huh. And if you go on there, there's a little gift from us. Nice. You did a surprisingly competent job uh, advertising that product. Yeah. Can I let you go now? Yeah. Good. Bye. Bye. Now, how do you make the perfect cup of coffee? Do you grind? Do you press? Do you froth? Uh, One man who surely knows is Ben Morrow. Last week, he was crowned Britain's best barista at the London Coffee Festival. I went along to meet him in a coffee shop, where else? And was unsurprised to discover that he's, he's actually an Aussie. Like seemingly every coffee trend recently, he's from Melbourne. But coffee is a truly global drink, and as I discovered, this latest British prize is far from his first. I've won the Victorian Latte Art Championship three times in a row. The Latte Championship. La- latte Art. So latte uh, if you've art. ever seen someone make a coffee and then like the pattern that's on top. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, so I've won that to start with uh, three years in a row. Wow, what's your coup de tiage? Uh, I kind of stay flexible. Could you write my name in latte art? Uh, yeah, I could. I could probably definitely pour your initials, uh-huh. and I could definitely write your name with etching. So etching is where you use a tool to like change the surface. Um, so you can use, say, like the spoon here, and we can just bring texture in, and it sits on the on the top. And then the other the other element is free pour, where I literally just pour the milk in, and then it ends up using you know an array of techniques of pouring. We can make it become something. I'm amazed when someone just does something quite basic like a heart with that. Oh yeah, you see them just pouring milk into the coffee. Yeah, well, so I mean, it could be we like there's techniques to do dragons and all kinds of stuff now, like phoenixes. I've seen turtles, tortoises. What else? I did a fox once. <laughs> I know someone who would like that very much. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's a tricky, bit like being a teenage not, magician. 
You know how, like, <laughs> you know, when people are studying yeah. magic, and it's actually, you know, it looks really cool when they can do a trick, but you know that behind the scenes they spent six years in their bedroom at home just performing in front yeah, of the Yeah, it's totally like that. Okay, so you won the Latte Art Championship three times. Yep. Then I've, I've come second in Australia for Latte Art. So for the country-wide, I've come second twice. I've won Australia once. I was fourth place Brewers Cup. I've won the New York Coffee Masters. I've top forward last year's UK Coffee Masters. And you should explain what Coffee Masters is. It's a head-to-head competition by the time it gets to the final, isn't it? Uh, it's So the first round is based on points. Uh-huh. So in the first round, we have to do three disciplines. Um, and there's, I think there's seven disciplines. There's cupping, the origin, latte art, the order round, signature beverage, and espresso blending and brewing the order round uh, it's like a speed challenge so that's the equivalent of you're working in a coffee shop and someone comes in and says quick quick i need 20 of these and five of these yeah here's 10 coffees make them in a, i have nine minutes let's go yeah. wow yep okay so you win at every single one of those rounds and then you go head to head with the second who was who came second this year uh yuko inoi from um timberland coffee i think it's a, it's a uk coffee house and what was her thing her signature beverage mm. There was an elderflower um, alcohol-based drink. There was uh, Japanese rice wine Bloody hell. and coffee. And she would use the AeroPress, if you've ever seen someone. It's kind of like a tube with um, a rubber stopper, and you put the coffee in, brew it, and then push it out through a paper filter. Um, so you, she used two of those. It was, it was a lovely drink. It was really refreshing yummy. But not as good as yours. What was yours? Mine was a quite, a, quite a few things at the same time, but the idea, I, I called it Fluid and Vital. Which was a joke on perfume, a uh, story of a murderer. Um, so the protagonist in that book comes across this um, eccentric scientist that has this fluidum theory, um, which basically is like the closest you, closer you are to the earth, there's like obnoxious gases that kill you. And if you're further into the air, it will, could heal you. Um, so... It was a cool name, um, but the idea was that we try and encapsulate what um, a farm smells like. Not an actual farm, but the place of origin. Mm. Um, and then bring that in with the coffee itself. So I used a coffee that's kind of famous. It's won a bunch of coffee competitions. Um, La Esperanza La Grana's Cerro Azul coffee. And you tried to capture the essence of a Colombian farm. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, uh, the, the coffee is going to taste of the earth because, you know, it's where it's coming out of you say it's obvious like some people probably think that's just pretentious they think there's no way you can actually taste the origin in a coffee bean oh you definitely can that's part of the competition too i mean there's the origin round you have to tell the judges where the coffees are from and i did (laughs) and it's not pretentious it's just like it's just like wine like if you have wine from spain wine from like just just really simply like spanish red wine french white wine maybe a californian rosé you would be able to say they're all different. And then, you know, you look into that and, you know, when you learn about what things taste like and what characteristics to expect from a country, then you can, you know, memorise it. So, so, so Cerro Azul is really beautiful. They actually, they're almost coastal. They're about 100 kilometres away from the coast. But every night there's a, uh, like, a fog that rolls in from the South Pacific Ocean. Um, so what I wanted to do was, like, create a sea breeze um, fog and I did that using um, kind of like a tea brewing method with um, seaweed. Wow. And then we Take used, that, we, Elderflower <laughs> Aeropress. Yeah, and then we used... We, yeah, all right. <laughs> well, I, I still used a V60, so it's a paper, paper method as well. Um, 
and some other things. And then we put the brewed coffee into this like peach solution. And then what you do is you take some dry ice and pour the hot seaweed solution into um, a vessel. And basically it creates this like sea breeze smelling cloud. Amazing. Um, and it's cold as well. So, I mean, it's a cool fog that rolls in and you basically, you take this, uh, it's a tumbler cup. And the first thing you do is you, you breathe in from it and it's cold and it smells like the sea. So you have like this cool breeze and then yeah, to a hot drink and it tastes like peach and honey and yeah, it's delicious. When you drink coffee at home, obviously you don't go to that kind of effort. You're not creating art. You're I, just making I absolutely coffee. don't go to that kind of effort. <laughs> so, so let's talk detail. Can you buy coffee that you like drinking from your local supermarket? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And always and, well, uh, unground, right? You grind them yourself, even if you're making it yourself at home? It's better to, to hand grind, well, not hand grind, but um, grind uh, when you need it because the coffee, it will last longer. So if you have freshly ground coffee, the whole beans will actually hold better than pre-ground coffee. A lot of people just think that's a bit of a pain. Even people who listen to this, you know, go through the ritual of making a coffee. They think, well, I'll buy the beans pre-ground. If you drink it in a week, I'm sure, you know, by the end of it, it'll probably still, it'll be a little bit old. But See, that's, that's probably okay. Yeah, but, people I mean, it'll for be, months, if don't they? Yeah, well, I mean, if it's... Most people are, are getting pre-ground coffee. They're keeping it in a cupboard. Are they completely compromising on taste? Yeah, and then, then it's back to preference. So if they preference that kind of coffee then that's totally fine. Who am I to say what you can and can't drink? Well, you're, but, you're yeah. one of the world's experts on coffee, so you yeah, just well, outlined I mean, your credentials. But if you want something that is excellent, then you're probably going to have to grind some coffee at some point. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what about keeping it once you've uh, ground it or once you've opened the packet? Because some people say put it in the freezer and stuff like that. The fridge can be tricky because there's things in the fridge. I'm sure there's like, you know, when you don't eat your leftovers, you realize that the fridge is starting to become smelly. Mm. And the only way to do, like, get around that is to have a clean fridge. And that means you have to take everything out and clean it. And people, and we were talking about effort before, so that's that's a problem too. You might as well put it in the larder. Um, just, you know, in the dry spot that you can find. Larders are usually not lit. Um, and they're probably cool too, because wherever you store your pasta or your grains is probably the best spot. And how much does the machine matter? Uh, can you make an equally excellent cup of coffee using um, something that you stick on top of a uh, hob or something that you just simply filter through that's made of plastic as you can with a 500 pound thing branded with Heston Blumenthal on the side? Yeah, most, uh, most coffee machines can make good coffee and it comes down to the person and that's sort of how skilled they are using the device. So do you think people are being ripped off when they spend a thousand pounds on a machine for home? Uh, well, I mean, it depends. Like, it depends. If you buy a thousand pound machine and invest the effort... I mean, it, I mean, you're spending a thousand pounds, so you should probably be investing the effort to learn how to use it first. And then, um, you know, it'll make great coffee. You can get... For four pounds, you can buy a little plastic dripper coffee, so that'll hold paper filters. You'll have to buy paper filters, go out and buy those, and you'll have to buy your coffee. You buy a little hand grinder for, you know, a 25-pound. And if you're good at it, it also makes really good coffee. It'll only make filter coffee. It won't make a flat white. So... Espresso coffee is generally expensive because it's a luxury. You know, you have, an espresso machine is expensive. But if you're going to buy an espresso machine, I would strongly suggest you learn how to make coffee before you do that because then you'll, you'll, you'll have no problems if you know how to use one. 
Now, I asked you where would you like to meet whilst you're staying here in London, uh, and you suggested a place that happens to be near the hotel you were staying in. Oh, um, yeah, that, that's probably just me being lazy, but this, this place is kind of beautiful. But yeah. Okay, so I wanted to ask you about this. We're in an independent coffee shop called the Hackney Coffee Company. That's right. Uh, they just have the one single outlet. It's very intimate and small, really. There's, there's a nice armchair at the top, but basically there's about four tables in here. Mm-hmm. What is it about this place that you walking past as, as a coffee expert thought, aha, this is a good place for coffee. Oh, well, I mean, like looking from the outside in, their branding is very sort of specialty coffee looking. Um, so it's kind of kitsch. I saw uh, the equipment. Um, it was clean. That's good. I walk past the place and see um, Alamazaco PB, which is just like a kind of expensive uh, espresso machine. Um, a Malconig EK43. And they also had a K30 from Malconig too. It's just it's, so the so the so the equipment was good. Yeah. And how does someone who's not a coffee nerd identify those machines? From it the looks street? it looks fancy. Okay. Uh, if it if it doesn't that looks like if, a Chrysler. If it's, it, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's a uh, it, it's a big machine that says Lamazoko on it. Okay. It's not the espresso machine that makes it good. It's just that's a good start. Mm-hmm. So and anyone can use like a Ferrari but still crash it. And then uh, I met this really lovely guy that um, works here, Giuseppe, who turned out that he knew um, a few people that I knew from Italy. And it's cute. Like, I like, I like little cafes like this, too. Yeah, but do you think um, that the mainstream chains, for want of a better phrase, can match the coffee you'd get in here bean for bean? I mean, maybe not sure. the, the average drink that they're selling, Definitely. but they can. Absolutely. And back to the, the competition that we did. So that order challenge... Uh, there was only one person that completed it besides me mm. and he was like working pretty hard he was like determined to do all 10 drinks and i was finishing with a minute to spare because the melbourne coffee scene is quick you will have to make if you do go there as a barista and this is just a heads up to all baristas you're gonna have to learn how to make coffee very quickly um and very um diligently as well which is fine and it's a really great skill to have is it okay to feel a bit intimidated when you go into an independent coffee shop and you don't know what the words mean? I still don't know what a piccolo is. I wouldn't feel intimidated. You should you should definitely talk to your barista because they're still human and that's, that's really a really Aussie really, thing to say. Really British sweet, baristas are not usually. all sweet. They're not all sweet. Some of them don't talk to you. Oh well, give it a crack. Just be like, hey, um, I actually don't know what a piccolo is. Could you could you tell me what's in it? So what is it? What is it? Well, it's just an espresso in a shorter cup. Okay. They're with, all, they're all so, so imagine like a latte. Yeah. All the things that are in a latte, except, um, so it's a full espresso still, and then you would have maybe like a two ounce cup, and then you just fill it up with textured milk. So I mean, it's just a stronger version of latte, uh, and it's a little bit shorter as well. Let's briefly touch on the coffee of the future, uh, since um, you know a lot of coffee trends seem to originate in your home city. Uh, yes. Uh, what are we going to be drinking uh, in London, in Manchester, in Glasgow in five years' time? Probably a latte. Even with all the innovation, um, you, you might be drinking it in a, in a like in a way where we we're wasting less coffee, uh, in a way that we're more efficient. Perhaps we're harvesting coffee with like higher yields. So, I mean, there's so many other things that could change behind the man standing behind the counter but we mostly sell lattes and that also in the in the end just imagine that a flat white and a latte are kind of the same thing so if someone orders a flat white takeaway and a latte takeaway i mean if we looked at both of them probably the same drink and 99 percent of the time it's the same drink um if you just like objectively looked at what the barista poured into the takeaway cup you know it's an eight ounce cup it has this much foam, this much milk, this much espresso, and then you know you look at both of them and you're like, well, 
They must be the same. <laughs> How has he done it different? <laughs> and if you think you like your coffee and you've tried basically everything that's in the supermarket, but you want to go next level, could you recommend a brand, a country, a thing? Listeners to this who, who are coffee savvy, what's well, the coffee they should try before they die? Uh, so the company that I work for, St. Ali, um, we have really, really, really yummy coffee. And we pride ourselves in roasting coffee that um, is accessible to a lot of people. Um, we have um, generally sweet medium roast and, um, and generically if you had to choose like a bean or a country that people should try that perhaps they have if you haven't had colombian coffee i strongly recommend colombian coffee so you can't um, colombian coffee. so colombia i think like you know juicy uh the higher elevations are a bit more tea-like um there's gonna be some fruit there probably you know red apple maybe really like lovely like jam qualities um, and then, like, on the opposite side of that, we go to Africa, East Africa, and we're talking wild berries, floral, and then even sort of, like, dark cocoa quality, maybe, from Ethiopia, maybe. Depends where you are in Ethiopia. I mean, it's got a massive taste range for such a small country, too. If you go south of there, towards Kenya, then we're getting, like, lemony, vibrant, strawberry coffee sometimes. I mean, coffee, coffee has a lot of tastes. Okay, I'm DMing you later. I want a special shopping list. Oh, no worries. Uh, in the meantime, Ben, congratulations on the prize. Thank you. Coffee master. Yes. Uh, I feel like the karate kid having got an education. For yeah, I, I, when, I, when I left from Melbourne, I was, uh, I was like, you know, if I could win this because I won New York, I'd be like, you know, one of those wrestlers that gets like the international titles and like, you know, puts them up on their shoulder and stuff. And I was like, yeah, that would be really, that'd be, that'd be really cool. And, you're uh, not that. You're just Tom Cruise in cocktail, but with coffee. But that's cool too. <laughs> yeah, that's cool too. It's just yeah, an older I mean, reference. I, I found a different way to find it cool. Yeah. <laughs> ben Morrow there. And by the way, in case you were wondering what he was drinking throughout that interview, I know I would be. Uh, it was actually just a, a really simple black drip filter coffee. Classy man. Uh, still to come, our song of the week, and up next, it's the foxhole. <laughs> Oh, look, we find ourselves in the warm and comforting embrace of the foxhole. Alex Fox is here. Hello, Alex. Step into my paws. What have you been up to this week? I've had a very flattering week, in fact. Uh The Sun newspaper have told me that they think I'm one of their four favourite female UK-based sexperts at the moment. Okay. And have invited me to go along and do a photo shoot where I have to be in a bed in in silky pyjamas. I'm screwing up my face because that sounds a little bit like they're trying to get you to take your top off. Are you sure that this is legit? No, no, I'll be fully clad. You've got to try and uh, communicate somehow through this, I'm sure, glamorous photo shoot that you're a serious journalist to the readers of The Sun. They asked me for my top ten sex tips of all time. Though, which is quite a difficult thing to decide, really. One of my favourites was yeah. an excellent bit of cheap kit to buy for the bedroom if you're into S&M or, or spanking is a wooden ruler. Cost you a couple of quid, max. Mm. And not only because you can use it as a consensual, of course, and careful tool to thwack your partner around the rear end, but you can also set them tasks where they have to measure things in the bedroom. <laughs> and if they don't get it right, then they get punished. That's good, isn't it? And if yeah. you get four of them, you could do a biology experiment, couldn't you? I think a biology experiment is what my sex life is. Here's a question from someone who calls themselves S. Uh, and she says... Do you have advice for a girl whose partner is into latex, especially girls in latex rubber, uh, but who sadly is horribly allergic to it? Not swell up and die allergic, but itchy, scary, skin flaking allergic. I have no idea if there are suitable alternatives which aren't too industrial looking. Uh, Is there a market for alternative kink 
which can accommodate those with allergies. Latex. Common allergy, latex? Massively common. Yeah.、Uh, in fact, a lot of people who are allergic to latex also find that they're allergic to certain fruits、uh, because latex's molecular structure has a lot in common with that of the skin of bananas and kiwi fruits,、uh, and pineapples and strawberries can cause problems as well. So, yeah, fruit salads and traditional condoms. Not、uh, not good options for people with rubber allergies. Okay, so what can you do if you've got a latex allergy but your partner loves latex? Okay, first up, our listener says that their allergy isn't horrific anaphylactic shock.、Mm-hmm. If you're that allergic to latex that it it puts you in a life threatening position, then the advice I'm about to give is unsuitable for you. <laughs> Um, but if you have a mild latex allergy that sort of makes things a little bit itchy and uncomfortable, then、mm-hmm. this might be something that you want to try.、Mm-hmm. Um, there's a process called chlorination, where you can get any type of latex clothing being dipped into a massive vat、uh, of chlorine-based solution.、Mm-hmm. And what this does is it sort of it has a, what's called a micro smoothing process. It actually changes the chemical structure slightly of the latex. Where do you go and get that done? Because this isn't something you can get done in your cobblers, is it? You know, key cutting,、uh, shoemaking. No, Timpsons don't offer this service. Exactly. There's loads of places that offer it on the internet. So you can、Usually. send off. Yes. Do, will they can... accept used latex? Yes, they will.、Right. Precisely that. You can package up the garments of your choice,、yeah. used or new, and then send it off. The process usually costs around twenty quid as well, so it's it's fairly easy on the wallet. Yeah. They'll dip it in their vat of magic solution, and then hopefully that will be the solution to your allergy issues. That's not the primary reason that people get latex garments chlorinated. <laughs>、um, the idea is that by very slightly smoothing the surface of the latex, it's easier to put on. You don't need to.、Um, there's a thing called dressing aid, which is kind of it's kind of like a lubricant that you apply to your skin before slipping into latex garments.、Uh-huh. Or some people use baby talc, talcum powder.、Uh-huh. You don't need to. None do of、that. this sounds sexy. I honestly think when there's this much prep involved. That the spontaneity is gone. Oh, latex is not a spontaneous thing. No,、I、but particularly so of... when you've sent off in the post to have it dipped in chlorine, and then you've had to rub yourself down in talcum powder before you can put it on. Ah,、oh, but for a lot of people, that ritual, that preparation, is part of the yeah. See,、so、you call it ritual, I call it admin. That to me, that's bureaucracy <laughs> in the bedroom. I don't want that. Well, supposedly chlorination helps cut some of the admin out of your sex right. life. Right. Okay. So it's easier, makes the latex easier to slip on without all of that that faff and、okay. squelchy liquids and whatnot. It can also make it a little bit a little bit hardier because latex has a, a tendency to stain. If you use things like、um, perfume or hairspray, or you have jewellery resting on a latex top. Then it can end up damaging it, and, and latex is quite pricey to buy. Latex garments are not cheap, so getting them chlorinated makes them last a bit longer. Okay, but it has this this、um, side effect. The chlorination process has this side effect, usefully, of reducing the、um, the capacity of latex to bring out allergic reactions in some people. So that might be a good thing to try. However, our listener also says that it makes her,、uh, her skin sort of itchy and, and scaly, right? Flaky. Flaky. Yes. Again, not a sexy word. I would suggest, even if she does get her latex garments chlorinated, still using a dressing aid or a lubricant because even people who aren't allergic to latex can have can suffer though that kind of outcome. 
because if you wear it for a long time, like you say, it makes you perspire loads. Mm. Uh, and you can end up with it, it sort of chafes, particularly at the joints if you're wearing it all night. Um, I particularly like to um, use a scented or a flavoured lube, and summers do a candy floss flavour one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to put that on because then uh, not only does it help to stop your latex from rubbing against you uncomfortably, but the hotter you get, the sweeter you smell. Mm. And it reminds you of the fun fair. Yeah. So if you get yeah. bored at any point, just be like, oh, dodgy. Just close your... The word fun fair reminds me of Simply Red, though. Yeah. I don't want to think about Mick Hucknall while I'm dressed in latex, perspiring no. heavily and stinking of candy floss. I get that. It's a good point well made. Mm. If our listener does have a major latex allergy, though, and finds that even chlorinated stuff isn't working for them, they could go for similar uh, fabrics which have a similar look or a similar effect, like PVC, for example. Yes. Or... Now, PVC, now that's a sexy fabric. <laughs> I have a pair of PVC trousers. Uh, I bought How them... did you come into possession of a pair of PVC trousers? <laughs> they were on offer at Bista Village. I don't know what Bista Village is. It's, a, it's a discount shopping mall. Oh, OK. Uh, and uh, they were French Connection last season in 1999. And they were affordable. No, £20. So I wore them to a student disco and uh, Helen Zaltzman has never let me forget it. Now, if you're looking for an alternative fabric to latex, you really have to identify what it is about rubber in the first place that turns you on. If it's that shiny gloss, then something like PVC might be a good, uh, a good thing to substitute in. If it's the tightness then actually you could experiment with multiple pairs of tights, which I know sounds Mm. ludicrous, Mm -hmm. but I have seen, and it depends on your body type, if you're fairly slim, then I've seen quite a few um, fetish photographs that look really effective that in which women have uh, worn lots of different pairs of semi-opaque or sheer tights layered up and sort of they've, they've cut holes in them to turn them into tops. If you're into tight clothing, but rubber is an issue... Mm then you could mess about with some, some pairs of stockings instead. And however tight your clothes are, uh, you can always send a question to us so that, Alex, you can answer it in a future episode. What should listeners do? However tight your clothes or indeed your situation, head over to modernman, that's M-A-N-N, dot co dot uk and click on feedback to feed me your query. Well, that's nearly it for this week's Modern Man. Thank you, everyone, who's left us a review on iTunes. Uh, DC Blackmon has left us a review in Thailand and thus becomes this show's Thai ambassador. I hope you are prepared for that incredible responsibility. Uh, Thanks, too, to everyone who's bought us a beer this week and therefore quenches our thirst to make independent podcasting a financially viable business model. Wim, Glyn, Morris, Nick, Michael and Jamie... Uh, spelt J-A-Y-M-E, incredible. Uh, Gavin, Amy, Claire, Joaquin, we have a Joaquin listening, Toon, Dave, Scott and Sean. Cheers. Uh, Our music is by Django Django from their self-titled debut album and this is the song that's keeping us awake at night. It's the new one by the Amazons. It's called Stay With Me and it's out now on Fiction Records. I've been Ollie Mann, the producer, Matt Hill, and we'll see you next Tuesday.
Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revelhorwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.